journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Good afternoon, and as COVID uh, figures are going up and up and up in the world, thank God they're going down and down in South Africa, and we actually uh, look at the world and think, geez, what a mess. What do we Jews do? We sit and we learn Torah, because it says learning of Torah brings peace to the world. It also gives us a tremendous amount of insight into who we are and what we are and what we are supposed to do. And at the end of the day, we need to keep the main thing the main thing, and the main thing right now is for us to prepare for the upcoming holiday of uh, Rosh Hashanah, which is coming up this weekend, Shabbos and Sunday, and for us to keep on doing what God wants us to do, to be a light unto the nations, to be connected to him, and to do his mitzvahs. And so we're going back, and we're journeying back into the Bible, as we always do on Mondays. We're learning the Pasha of Chayasara. This is chapter 24 of Genesis and we're in the middle of the travels of faithful, uh, the faithful servant Eliezer, who is going to look for a wife for his master's son, Isaac. Last week, we spoke about the idea of Hashkacha Pratis, of divine providence, the fact that God puts us in the right place at the right time, all the time. And that is really very, something that is, is fundamental to the idea um, um, to, to the concept. It's a concept that is important in Judaism. Why? Because we don't believe in a haphazard world. We don't believe in a world out of control, even though we can kind of like listen to the news and think it is out of control. But the world is not out of control. The world is controlled, but guess what? It's not controlled by us. It's actually controlled by God. And what we need to do is we need to figure out that we're a cog in this big wheel, where, what cog are we and what can we do to uh, fulfill not only our mission, but help the world come to a redemptive state. And as we learn the Bible, as we go through Chumash and we, we read what seems to be just biblical tales, we glean a tremendous amount about our purpose in life and what it is that, that, that we want and in every single aspect. Chaya Sarah and this entire story with Eliezer, of course, is a story about marriage, and we learn a tremendous amount from it. So join me. We are going to be starting on chapter 24, verse 15. And at this point in time, where we left off was that Eliezer asked God for a sign that if he comes to the well and some, he asks someone to let him drink, and she not only offers him to drink, but offers his camels to drink, then that will be a sign that this girl is, in fact, um, worthy of being a wife for Isaac. By he who terim kilaladaber, and he had not yet finished speaking, the hine Rivka Yotzet, Rivka came out. Who was Rivka? Ashe Yulda Lebetuel ben Milka. She was um, a child of um, a person called Betuel, who was the son of Milka. Eshet Nahor, um, the wife of Nahor, and who was Nahor? Achi Abraham, the brother of Abraham, the Chada Al Shechma, and a uh, a jug was on her shoulder. So straight away we're told, boom, bingo, um, Eliezer's wish um, and sign has been fulfilled. 
out just as he finished completely uh, speaking to God, out out she comes and um, she has this jug on her shoulder. We're going to go for a little bit of a break. When we get back, we're going to see how this all now unravels and transpires. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. This Rosh Hashanah, give a gift instead of a hug. Visit the Salad Siegel gift shop in store or online for a range of stunning, exciting hampers, toys and gifts. Show your friends and family that you care. And remember, little people need hugs too. www.salwinsiegelgifts.co.za Okay, we're sitting there by the well. He has just finished speaking, and who comes up? Rivka, who was born to Betuel, who was a son of Milka. Milka was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, and she has a jug on her shoulder. Now, this young girl was extremely good-looking. Betula, she was a virgin. A man had not known her. She went down. She filled up her jug, and she came up again. So let's just understand a little bit about the quality of... Uh, of 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 Rebecca. First of all, we are told that she was beautiful, but at the same time of her being beautiful, her beauty was on the inside as well because she had managed in a very very corrupt society to maintain her um, her virginity, her her ability to remain pure. And while there were a lot of immoral people in the area. And there was a lot of um, not nice things happening there. That didn't happen to, to Rivka because she portrayed a royalty. She portrayed a, um, uh, what should we call it? Like when people saw her, they understood like this was somebody that you, you definitely do not mess around with or take, take any advantage of her. Um, one of the other things is that the Torah actually flips it around and says, Ve'ish lo yeda'a, and a man did not know her, which did not mean that there were other men that did not know her, but rather that Eliezer was very virtuous, meaning that when he came to speak to Rivka, he didn't even lift his eyes to glance at her, um, meaning Ha'ishya is actually talking about Eliezer and not about everybody else around there. The Torah is also telling us <clears throat> something about the low moral standards um, that, that are in the area. Because in every generation, there, there are hidden tzaddikim um, that we know nothing about. On high, they're very important. They're very well recognized, even though sometimes in this world, we would think that they, they would be downtrodden. And this is the case with Rebecca. All right? Her neighbors were so immoral, they could only look upon her as a sex object, and nobody really then understood what an incredible Tzedekas, in fact, she, she, she was. And that's, again, a little bit more about understanding why no man knew her. Because she was a granddaughter of Abraham's brother Nahor, she also came from a very wealthy family. And we are told that she had many, many servants, and she did not normally go out to draw water. But... 
as we said, because Hashem runs the world with Hashkocha Pratis, Hashem runs the world with divine providence, then um, this day when she landed up going out, she was forced by divine providence to do it herself. And that was why? Because she wanted to land up meeting um, meeting uh, Eliezer. Now, the spring where, where the water was had a small depression. So all the girls who had to come to draw had to climb down the stairs to the water. And uh, one of the things that we are told in the Midrash was that when Rebecca arrived, the water began to gush out of the spring, fill up the entire depression um, as if it was rising to greet her. And she was immediately then able to fill her jug and head towards home. And this is why the verse is very, very clear and says, that she went down, meaning that it didn't mean that she climbed down into the spring, meaning that she had to walk downhill from a house and then the water actually rose up, um, rose up and, and, and greeted her. And that again was another sign of her titkus, of her, of, of, of her righteousness. What happens next? Likrata. The servant runs towards her and Vayomer and he says, Hagmi inina ma'at Please let me sip a small little bit of water from your jug. So when Eliezer saw the water rise up to prevent her from going down to trouble, you know, for her to go down the stairs, he realized then straight away that she was an unusual saint. So he quickly runs down to her and he asks her for a sip of water from a jug. What does she answer? Vatoimer, she says, Shtei Adoni, drink my master, my lord, but to my hair, vatoyred, kada, aliada, vatashkehu. And so she quickly lowers her jug to her hand and she lets him drink. Vatchal lehashkoto, and when he finished drinking, Vatomer, she says, Gam ligmalecha eshav ad im kalu lishtot. I will now also draw water for your camels until they have drunk their fill. But to my hair, and so she hurries. Vataar kada el hashoket. She pours, she empties her jug into the trough. Vitarat od el haber. She runs again to the well. Lishov. And then she again draws water so that she can give water for all the camels. So without even waiting for a reply of him going, why, that's so nice of you, can I help you, or anything like that, she quickly fills a drinking trough that stood near the well, and she waters the animals. The man gaped at her. Meaning Eliezer was in absolute awe, like just what happened. Everything that he asked for happened in literally a couple of seconds. Maharish ladat hahitzliach Hashem darko imlo. He knew that his own prayer was answered, but what he was worried about was, was she one of Abraham's relatives? So he was observing her carefully, looking for some Telltale, telltale sign. So her question of her, I mean, his request of, please let the girl not only feed me, let me drink, 
and let my um, let my camels drink went and got fulfilled immediately. The question now was, he now needed substantiation. He needed to understand, was she in fact a relative of Abraham? Because that was what was the main mandate. IFM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back, and we're carrying on now in verse 22 to see what happens. Vayihi, ka'asher kilu ha'gamalim mishtot, when the camels had finished drinking. Vayikach ha'ish, the man took, nezen zahav, a nose ring, sorry, a gold nose ring. Beka mishkalo, it weighed half a shekel. Ushneitz midim al yadecha, and he also took two bracelets, Asara Zahab Mishkalam, weighing 10 gold shekels. Vayomer, and he says to her, But me at, whose daughter are you? Hagidi na li, please tell me. Vehayesh beit avich makom lalen. And do you have a place in your father's house to spend the night? Right, some very, very interesting things happen over here. Eliezer lands up giving her gifts. He gives her a nose ring and he gives her two bracelets. Now, on a basic level, this is um, taken as a, an indication for people that when they talk engagement and they become engaged, that gifts are given, a gift of value is given to the bride and hence what we know today as our engagement ring. Now, in those days, I guess nose rings was the fashion and bracelets. And so he passed over an engagement present to her. Some people say that he was um, too quick in asking. But in the fact that he actually understood that she'd already fulfilled uh, the conditions that he had asked God to do, uh, he understood that um, now it was just a matter of signing and sealing the deal. Now, one of the things that we do know is that everything that we learn in Chumash, and particularly when it comes to the trials, tribulations, challenges, and stories of our forefathers, they are a sign of something to happen in the future to the descendants. And here we told that um, there is a discussion over here about the gifts that he gave. Now, first of all, uh, they were hectic gifts, all right? Um, the nose ring, um, which obviously is worn on the nose, was very much like earrings that are worn today. And it contained a jewel, which the Midrash tells us weighed five drums. And five drums, not D-R-U-M-S, D-R-A-M-S, it is a weight of uh, a biblical weight, is around about 45 carats. So you can just imagine what type of jewel uh, she received. And also the bracelet she gave weighed 10 salayim, which is about 6.8 troy ounces. They were really, really beautiful, beautiful gifts. Now, obviously, uh, for someone as wealthy as Abraham, these gifts were just mere trifles, right? Um, and, and in general, what the reason why he, he, they, she got those things was not because she was I'm going to be wowed by the the, the, the wealthiness of, uh, of whom she was going to marry, but rather they had a symbolic value. <clears throat> What's the symbolic value? 
So I just told you that the nose ring was worth half a shekel, okay? And so it says that this this precious stone weighed half a shekel because in the future, in the future, there, this was um, recognizing and um, hinting to the fact that when the Jews will be counted for the census, which you can look up in Shemot, um, in chapter 38, verse 26 to be precise, um, when we did a, a census of the Jewish people, we don't count people, right? We only count things. And so in order to know how many people there were, every Jew was obligated to give half a shekel, no more, no less, to the temple. And this entire mitzvah um, is very much connected and um, a symbol that uh, Rachel's descendants will uh, will be bound by that mitzvah in the future, and therefore she re- she received something worth half a shekel. Um, and then the two bracelets symbolized the two luchos, the two tablets, um, which again will also be bound upon Rachel's descendants when we stand at Har Sinai. Um, so the two the two tablets represented the two bracelets, and the weight symbolized the Ten Commandments, meaning these gifts alluded to the fact that Rivka's descendants would be the ones to receive the Torah. Now, we know that <clears throat> Abraham didn't want Rivka to marry Yitzhak for his wealth, but for his wisdom and his, and his piety, because their union would give rise to the nation of Israel. And so we told that whilst we are going wild at their fantastic presence, they were in fact modest gifts compared to the wealth that Abraham had. And this comes to teach us a lesson. And as, I, as I've said, we're learning about the Pasha of marriage. So the Talmud comes and says, this teaches that a man should not marry a woman who has too strong a liking for jewelry and precious stones, i.e., a girl who pays more attention to her engagement ring, her engagement ring, than to the character of her husband, is not worthy to be a bride. <laughs> so the Torah was very uh, specific in saying, when you're looking to get married um, and you're looking for that partner in your life, um, if you're seeing them making a big deal about their physical uh, possessions and particularly about the jewelry and they're not caring too much about character and piety, then maybe you're marrying the wrong girl. Conversely, the Torah goes and says as well, and advises a girl that one should not seek out a wealthy husband, but one who is pious, good-hearted, intelligent, and educated. Eliezer, in this case, assumed she would be suitable, and therefore... He gave her the gifts, and only then did he ask about the family background. Now, it's again very interesting because you'll see now in the interplay of the, the verses that they're actually finding out a lot about each other um, just in their interaction. So he says to her, who are you, and um, <clears throat> can you tell me a bit about your family, and do you have somewhere to sleep for the night? Vatomer, now we're on verse 24 of chapter 24, Chavdalad. Vatomer, she says, Elav, to him, Bat Bituel Anochi, I am the daughter of Bituel, 
ben Milka, um, the son of Betuel is the son of Milka, Asher Yalda Nachor, um, whom she brought to Nachor. And so straight away, um, she clarifies and she confirms um, properly that she is in fact of the lineage of Abraham. But Tomer and and then she says to him, Gam Elav, Gam Tevin, Gam Misvorav, Imanu, Gam Makom Lalon. And then she says, We have plenty of straw and fodder, as well as a place to spend the night. Then Eliezer bowed low and prostrated himself before Hashem. And he says, Baruch Hashem. Thank you, Hashem. Blessed is Hashem. Elokei Adoni Abraham, who is the God of my master Abraham, who did not abandon his kindness and his truth, Meim Adoni, from my master, Hashem, Adoni. Here I am, just still on the road, and God has already led me to the house of my master's brothers. So straight away, <clears throat> Eliezer has the sense to immediately understand the divine providence. He's not sitting around, looking around, and just letting things have, happen, happen haphazardly. What he is seeing is that God has led him to this place. And again, it goes back to what we spoke about last week. Every encounter, every minute of every day where you are encountering the various circumstances of your life, all of them have been orchestrated because you need to be there at that place and at that time. So the question is really um, now, what what is going on in this discussion? And what you can actually see is that just from the couple of sentences and interaction that he has with Rivka, okay, he actually sees that this girl is the correct girl for Yitzchak. Why? The first thing is that he asked Rivka, do you have a place for me to sleep? What was Rivka's response? Gam teven, gam misporav imanum. We have lots of, of, of straw and lots of fodder. Gam, gam um, makom uh, lalon. We also have a place to spend the night. So the first thing that he works out about Rivka is that she has the trait of what? Of hospitality. And this was very, very important because hospitality was one of Abraham's most prominent traits. We know that Abraham's house was always used to help others and the day never passed without guests. So he knew when he was looking for a wife for Yitzchak, she would have to have a hospitable nature. And she proved herself twice. Not only did she give water to him, but water to the camels until they finished drinking. And when he just said, can I have somewhere to stay at night? She said, not only can you stay, but we've got a lot of straw, a lot of fodder, which is indicative that we'll also be looking after your, your, your animals. And please be my guest, come in in an open manner. So the first thing, he ascertains just in those sentences is that he understands that she has a hospitable nature. Then the other thing, other trait that he ascertains is that he also wanted to choose a girl that was innocent and polite. 
And to determine that, what he said to himself was that he would remain near the well and he would wait for the girls to come draw the water. Now, probably what would have happened is that if he requested for water, some of the girls maybe would have been too lazy to take water, uh, to, to, to do it for them, for him. They would rebuff him. And they would probably might think and say, um, yeah, look, yeah, he's standing right by the well, but he's too lazy to get water for himself. Why should we go to all the trouble to fill our pitchers to give him the water? He's so lazy, he wants to put the water in his mouth, us to put the water in his mouth. And that would really, would be an expected reaction of a peasant girl or a person who doesn't have very fine meadows, very fine character traits. But if a girl comes and drinks water, gives, comes and gives him to drink, offers the water to his camels, then it's a sign that she's kind and ready to help others and she's not too busy for a stranger. And so this, through this interaction, Eliezer understood now that Rivka was extremely polite, quite intelligent, and she was, um, <clears throat> she really was, again, that, that character trait was something that he wanted as a wife for Yitzchak. But she also proved her intelligence, and this is what's interesting. Why did he see that she was intelligent? Well, when she came to offer the water to Eliezer, understand Rivka wasn't just a simple simple girl. She was in a quandary as what to do. Because if you come, a stranger comes up to you and asks you to drink, what would be your thoughts? What if a stranger has a serious contagious disease? In our time, what happens if they're walking around with COVID? Okay, he has just put the jug to his lips. Now all the water in the jug could be contaminated. How could she bring it home instead of pure well water? And since he was so close to the well and had to, but had to ask for water, was that not saying to her that maybe he was ill? Maybe he didn't have the strength to climb down the stairs to the water. But at the same time, what would happen if she spills the water out then? Once he has drunk, wouldn't that embarrass him? Okay, wouldn't it appear that she couldn't stomach using the water after he had tasted it? These were the thoughts that were going through in Rivka's mind. But Rivka was very sensitive, kind, but she also had intelligence. What did she say? She came up immediately with an idea. Okay, she would offer all the camels water to drink. And she would spill the water into the trough. And that's exactly what we did. If you look very, very carefully, it says again, and I'm going to go back to that verse. Okay, it says, um, yeah. She, Batome, she says, Shte Adoni, drink my master, Vatemaher Vatore Kada Al Yada Vatashkehu. She brings, takes the jug off her shoulder and she gives him to drink. But as soon as he's finished drinking, I'm now going to give your camels to drink. And then here is the little nuance, the little twist. But to my hair, she hurries. She pours the, her, her, her jug into the trough. Then she goes and fills up water again for the camels. So here we see that she is being very concerned about the feelings of Eliezer. So he drinks, 
she doesn't want to embarrass him. Maybe she's got he's got COVID-19, right? So what does she do? She drops the jug of whatever's left of water into the trough, runs then, fills up with more water, and then fills up the trough for the camels. So she circumvents her being put in a position where it, it, Eliezer will understand that she's cast the doubt on him. Is he contagious with some disease or not? And even a better proof, by her then giving water to the camels, um, she figures that, well, if he's sick, he would have stopped it and said, no, 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 don't give that to the camels because obviously he wouldn't want his uh, camels to catch COVID-19 or whatever it is that she was she was drinking. So Eliezer understood, okay, and she did it very quickly, but to my hair, the tarat, she quickly did it and she, she hurried and she ran because she didn't want to be put in an insidious position. Now, one other thing that he worked out about uh, about Rivka was her modesty. Because when she gave him the water, the Torah says, she lowered her jug to her hand and let him drink. Now, normally she would carry the jug on her shoulder, right? And if she would let him drink from it while it was still on her shoulder, it would mean that Eliezer would have had to stand very close to her and their faces would have been in close proximity. But she was exceedingly modest. And, 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 and pure. And she did not want to stand so close to a man. So what did she do? She lowered the jug to her hand where she could drink without standing right next to him. And that then we see also that Eliezer respected her chastity because he could have gone and said, tip over your jug that I may drink. But as soon as he saw her striking beauty and her obvious modesty in the way that she was she was carrying herself, he changed the words and he didn't say, tip over your jug that I can drink. What did he say? Let me sip a little water from the jug. So he gave her the option to, to, of going to the trouble of lowering her heavy jug in order that he avoid physical proximity to her. So in these few lines, Eliezer establishes the midos, the character traits that he's looking. He saw that she is hospitable. He saw that she was modest. He saw that she was polite, kind, good-hearted, intelligent. What a match. A perfect, perfect match for Abraham's son. And in turn, um, Rivka was being very responsible and she was checking out um, Eliezer to ensure that he wasn't a charlatan or something else that she should be wary of. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Before we go on to what happens with Rivka and Eliezer, I want to bring one other point um, to you, and this is where um, Abraham, uh, sorry, where Eliezer is praying to God. Again, he says, Vayomer Baruch Hashem, thank, blessed is Hashem, Eloke Adoni Abraham, the, 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 the God, the Lord of my master Abraham, Ashelo Azav Chastove Amito. He did not abandon his kindness and his truth with his master. Now, 
Why did Eliezer praise Hashem in such a way that I'm praising the God of Abraham that he did not leave his kindness and his truth? Because Eliezer understood that this whole story would benefit both Rivka and Abraham. Why? Rivka was extremely old, as we know, and he was anxious to, to see Yitzhak married before he died so that he could enjoy his grandchildren. And so Eliezer thanks God for kindness and truth, or more precisely, if you want to read it better, true kindness. And again, later, he talks about the fact that we'll see later now, when he's talking to Betuel, he says, if you want to do a true kindness for my master, what is true kind, kindness all about? Um, and it's very easy to, to, to work that out because we're told that true kindness is a kindness that um, is enacted out to somebody who's passed on. Let me explain. There are many, many levels of charity and kindness that one can do, right? Um, sometimes some, uh, a person does a kindness out of a coercion. So does it take away from the fact that you were kind? No, it's not. Does it put a damper on because you were kind? Yes, it does. You did it out of coercion. Sometimes we will do kindness because we want to, out of the goodwill of our heart, much better than doing it out of coercion. But it's good. it still could have a a little bit of a tinge of, of not goodness around it because I could go out and do a kindness because I want to, but I want to also because when I do that kindness, I'm going to have a plaque on the wall that says I donated this, this room. Or I'm going to land up in the newspaper and they're going to tell everybody how much money I donated. Or I'm going to land up getting an accolade or people going saying, did you see what she did? She was so kind. So, even when we go and do kindness out of the, the goodness of our heart, sometimes our kindness can be tinged with a little bit of self-aggrandizement. Uh, uh, there, there can be a tinge of the not good stuff in it. The only time one can do kindness that is completely altruistic and completely pure is when one does kindness to a dead person. And what do I mean by that? We're told that when one is involved in the burial of a body, of a person who has passed on, um, those that go and busy themselves with preparing the body for burial, those that wash the body, um, the holy Hebra Kedisha, Hebra Kedisha means the holy society, they give up their time um, voluntarily and willingly to prepare the body, put it in Tachrichim, to put, put it in, um, wrap it up in the shrouds, to prepare the body, to dig the grave, to bring the body to burial. This is called a chesetchel emes, a, a true kindness. Why? Because the, the body, as we will understand, will never come back and say, thank you. This is completely and utterly altruistic. So true kindness can only be found um, when one acts with helping with a dead body. Can you do true kindness um, to the living, you can, but you've got to be on a very, very high level. And the Rambam talks about uh, the levels of charity, okay, and um, what what type of charity uh, one gives. 
and um, you know sometimes the it's the recipient that doesn't know who the giver is. The giver doesn't know who the recipient is. If you do it in secret or if you don't, if you give them a parnosa, if you don't, and he goes through an entire level of the levels of charity and of kindness. Obviously, we need to always strive towards doing kindness altruistically with no strings attached. And I, we have really, really seen this a lot now during the COVID pandemic, people going beyond the letter of the law, people giving up a whole lot of stuff they maybe ordinarily would never give up um, because they have found compassion and um, a connectedness with another human being that's never been seen before. But here we get the idea from Eliezer that there is a thing called chesed shal, em, um, shal emes, the kindness of truth. And he's recognizing it here, not in regards, so to speak, of a, of, of a dead body, but what he's saying is, is that you're doing a true kindness because, thank you, God, once you've given me the ability to work out who is the wife for Rivka, I can bring her back ASAP and let her be married so before Abraham dies, he will actually have nachas from his children. So this was a, 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 it's a very interesting point and a point to ponder. Right. Vatarat What happens when she receives that nose ring and those two beautiful bracelets? Where does a girl go to when she's got the most beautiful jewelry? You got it. She goes and she runs and she tells her mother, Mommy, Mommy, look what I just got from this man. But Rivka is an intelligent girl and the Midrash goes and tells us that um, she told her, which means she didn't tell her that everything exactly. She told her an approximation of what happened. So this again gives us insight into why Rivka was intelligent and she had tact because she couldn't tell exactly what happened. Can you imagine she tells her mother, look, a stranger has given me gifts before he even asked who I was, okay? Um, and then the, the mother would have gone, are you crazy? Didn't I bring you up to tell you you never speak to strangers? You never receive things from strangers? And she would obviously rightfully go on a tirade about the irresponsibility of her daughter. So in recounting the episode, Rivka um, says he asked for my identity and then he gave gifts. And so she gave it in an approximate way, not in a precise story. We're also told that she... Um, said the story in a very loud voice because she wanted her father to hear and wanted um, him to go out and greet the stranger because what? She'd already promised him straw and fodder and a place to stay the night. But who is listening? Well, Rivka, ach, Rivka had a brother, Ushmo, and his name is Lavan. It's not her father that runs out, but her brother, Lavan, who runs out to the man, to the well. Lavan comes up as a conniving, engineering, crooked little man, okay? A little bit later down in, 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 in Genesis, when Rivka eventually tells Jacob, her son, to go live with her brother, Lavan, 
and where he sits and he works for seven years for Rachel only to be married to Leah um, because he was so conniving. So when Lavon, the brother, is sitting in another room and he hears his sister talking very animate, uh, in an animated way to the mother saying, look at the jewelry I got. Lavon's uh, um, ears are pricked and he runs out um, and he um, goes out to find this man because you know what his intention is? He's going to rob him. Stay tuned. We'll be back after the break. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Let's quickly wrap up what happens with Lavan. When he sees the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's hand. And he hears what his sister Rivka was saying. That this man had spoken to him. Um, he runs out and he comes to the man and look what the words say. That Eliezer was standing on the camels on the spring water. What does that mean? Well, Lavon assumed Eliezer was a wealthy merchant, so he was going to the well to kill him and rob him. Aware of Lavan's intentions, Eliezer, who was holy, was able to go into a state through meditative power and levitate himself and put himself on top of water. So when Lavan approached him, Eliezer wasn't standing on the ground, he was hovering over the well. Why? Because he knew that Lavon was also a magician. He, he, he played around with sorcery. Eliezer stood on the surface of the well in the water because everybody knows, I don't know, but apparently those with the occult know, that you cannot touch somebody when they're in contact with water. So what happens? Lavon's walking down. His intention is to kill him. Okay? And Eliezer knows that, so he goes and he stands on the camels on the water means he... Go, he levitates above the ground, hanging around over the thing. And when Lavan realizes this and he sees Eliezer, he knows that now this is not an ordinary man. This guy has spiritual powers. And um, also, when he sees Eliezer, Lavan realizes that he has a strong physical resemblance to Avraham. And although Lavan had never seen Avraham personally, we're told that he had seen his portrait because in those days people used to paint portraits of famous men as they still do today. So when Lavan saw that Eliezer was an important person, he suspected that it might even be Avram himself. He completely and utterly gives up his uh, initial decision to rob and murder him. And with that, I'm going to leave you hanging and hope that you will meet me next week, same time, same place. Um, let me, in the meantime, take this opportunity of wishing all Chayefem listeners a ketiva v'chatima tova, a shana tova umetuka. You should have a beautiful, inspired year of health, of happiness, and of course, most importantly, the revelation of Mashiach now. Have a wonderful week. Chayefem, 101.9 megahertz of life.